Welcome to Spin It. We're here uncovering the true stories behind every guest's successes and failures. This podcast is real and raw. We're stripping away the fluff and the perfectly manicured bios to get a glimpse into what it takes to be truly successful. What is your measurement of success? I'm your host, Stephanie Malik. I'm a global business consultant, coach, and crisis expert. So to say I have heard it all before is an understatement. I've seen people flip their world upside down with the slightest error in judgment, only to spin it into their most crucial and defining moment of success. On Spin It Podcast, I'm chatting with high achieving executives, athletes, and entrepreneurs to understand how they have turned their failures into fuel to help them grow themselves and their businesses. I want my guests inspiring stories of truth and authenticity to engage and impact you. We're here giving you real stories behind the headlines and to give you a glimpse of the messy reality that is success. Whether it's a hidden addiction, business scandal, an abusive family, a debilitating illness, or simply just navigating life's hardest days, we want you to learn from our mistakes. Life is all in how you spin it. Today, I'll be speaking with Naveen Jain, who is a wildly successful businessman, passionate entrepreneur, and a dedicated speaker. In addition to all of his professional achievements, Naveen is also a very proud father of three incredibly beautiful and successful children. I'm talking with Naveen today about how he was able to raise three super smart kids. All three are highly driven to impact change in the world and are active entrepreneurs today. Naveen shares how he always pushed his kids to strive for more because to him, the sky is just a figment of our imaginations. He also talks about how he worked with his children to find their very own passions, whether that be human rights, business, or tech. He talked about his failures as much as his wins. It was so important for his kids to see the entire picture of what it takes to be successful. Listen closely as I turn over my entire show to him as he drops so many epic gems about what true success actually means. Naveen, Naveen, I am so excited to have you on the show. I have been waiting so long for this. Thank you so much for joining. Well, Stephanie, first of all, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Let's jump right in. This is probably going to be a little different than anything that you've ever done before because I want to talk about you and the businesses, but I really want to talk about you early and your methodology and theory on raising these incredible children that you and your beautiful wife have raised. So take me back to your childhood. Were you always this passionate about life and helping others? So let me just at least set the stage for you. I grew up in India. And um, as we came from very humble beginnings, there are days we didn't have food to eat. We didn't have a place to stay. But to me, all that simply tells you that it doesn't matter where you start from. You literally control your own destiny. And I think, you know, to some extent, I think uh, the present, what where you are in life is what it is. It's inevitable. You can't change it. This is where you are. But what you do today can change the trajectory of where you end up in the future. That means future is in your control. The present is already happening. You like it or you don't like it, it is happening. So point is accept it and enjoy it. And then do something right now that will change the trajectory of where you end up in the future. Now, 
obviously came to United States, give or take about 38 years ago. And, you know, God has been very kind to us. And uh, to some extent, I would say the biggest way I measure our own success is not by how much money we have in the bank, but really towards about how many lives have we really improved. And I think to some extent, as we will discuss, you know, later, these things go hand in hand. So to some extent, doing good and doing well are not mutually exclusive. In fact, what you would learn would be the only way to do well in a sustainable long-term way and time and time again is to continue to focus on improving people's lives, doing good in the world. And I'll give you a framework of how I do the things in the framework that I use. But to answer your question more specifically, it's really interesting to see that, you know, someone coming from a humble background and you could say, you know, they have a hunger, they have a desire to do something because they want to uh, get out of this cycle of poverty. They want to do something to make their life worthwhile. Now, interesting thing happens is what do you do with children who are going to, in fact, grow up in a affluent family? There's no two ways about it. And that is, I think, is a lesson I think I would like to share with the people here because many of the people who are listening to it probably are going to, are already facing it or going to face that in their own lifetime because they are going to be the people who are listening to you are either already successful or they're bound to be successful. So either way, they're going to actually have to go through this exercise. And that was really interesting. So we have three children just to go, uh, you know, from the thing where they are right now. Then I'm going to come back and tell you how they got to be where they are. Our oldest is Angkor and Angkor is on to his third unicorn. And he's focused on all the things on affordability, affordable housing, affordable renting, affordable childcare, affordable senior care, and really looking at across the things about how do we get the middle class to enjoy the benefits of that rich society has always enjoyed. And he started when he was 17 years old. He started actually helping other entrepreneurs. He started a nonprofit called Kairos when he was 17 years old. And the idea was to essentially see how he can bring the mentors to all the people who didn't have the same set of mentors that he had as growing up. And he wanted to bring that to everyone else. In turn, he ended up becoming the person that every top mentor gotten to know well. So when he started his entrepreneurial journey, they were all there for to help him because he was asking for help for everyone else. So he is a Wharton grad and he started the company and he said every single company that so far he has touched has really done well for himself. And the reason is because he always focused on the same philosophy of helping other people. Our daughter, you know, went to Stanford. She's a Stanford STEM fellow. She's a Stanford Mayfield fellow. And the first thing she did was working in a company to remove the gender bias from hiring, uh, helping women get jobs that are equivalent and removing the gender bias using AI. And she just started a company called Avi, which is E-V-V-Y, uh, which is for women's health company, uh, which is using vaginal microbiome. Our youngest one is also a Stanford grad, and he's a Schwarzman scholar, and he went to China, and he actually now working on a company that helps people on the fintech side. The biggest spend that we all have in our lifetime is our mortgage. How do we get the, make the mortgage payment the easiest possible thing? And that's what he's focused on. So now, 
imagine all three children who I would argue don't have to work for a living and they know it. How did they get to be where they are? And I think this is really where I think the parenting is very counterintuitive. The things we believe we are doing for our children are not necessarily good for them. So for example, the first company that I started became wildly successful beyond my, you know, any possible dream I could have had. And at that point, the kids were very young. And I think most parents would say at that time, you say, hey, I got really good success. I've made money. Now I'm going to stay at home and spend time with the family, which is really about saying, okay, I'm not going to work anymore because I've made money and I'm going to stay at home and spend time with the family. Now, imagine most people say, that's a great idea. That's a good thing to do. And you're sacrificing. Now look at it from the perspective of the children. The children watch their dad sitting at home when they're going to school, watching CNBC. They come back from school, dad is still sitting on the sofa watching CNBC and telling the kids, you know, work hard. It's not about money. Go out and do your homework. You got to work hard. And all the kids are thinking, I want to grow up and be just like my dad, sit on the sofa and watch CNBC. Doesn't matter what you tell them, they're watching you do exactly that. Instead, what they saw was dad doesn't see the money, doesn't matter. Dad says, you know, I'm going to go start the second company. I'm going to go start the third company. I am not telling them the money doesn't matter. They're watching me do things knowing I don't have to do anything constantly going out and solving the problems that matter to me. Then the dad goes completely crazy and dad says, we are going to go to the, build a company to go to the moon. Dad, you know, there is no private company that has gone to the moon. How can you ever think that you can do that? Well, obviously I haven't taught you anything, so let me show you how it is done. We go out, became the first company and the only company that has first private company to get permission to leave Earth orbit. We got the law changed and signed by President Obama that anything we bring back from space, we actually get to own it. Right Now that, oh my God, every kid, dad, my friends want to come and see what you're doing at Moon Express. Can they come and visit you? Great. So did that. And then dad goes and says, you know, we're going to now look at healthcare. We're going to solve the healthcare problem because there is an epidemic of chronic diseases. I'm going to come back about what we're doing there. And the kids now have grown up and the kids had a family meeting. Dad, you're almost 60 years old now. You are gone crazy. You don't go change healthcare. It never can be done. It's time to ride into sunset. You have had great success. Why do you want to go out as a failure? This can never be done. Well, kids, let's go, let's go show you how it can be done. <laughs> Dad goes out and shows that actually you can prevent and reverse these chronic diseases. And now I'm going to tell you that, you know, not only we are developing vaccines for cancers that people thought were incurable, we are developing the drugs for autoimmune diseases people thought were absolutely not possible. We are going out and diagnosing stage one cancers that people thought were not possible. Right? We are preventing diseases using food and supplements as a medicine for because people couldn't believe the food can in fact be a medicine. Despite 2,500 years ago, Hippocrates said that, like, let food be thy medicine, let thy medicine be food. We forgot that. Guess what happens? We go out and show them it can be done. In turn, 
the children go out and take on even more audacious problem because they now can see there's nothing that they can't solve. There is only limit to what we cannot do is what we can't imagine, right? Sky is not the limit because sky is simply a figment of our imagination. Sky doesn't exist. We create a sky. And we create a sky because we as human mind want to see where the boundaries are. So we create these imaginary boundaries for us. I am a woman. I can only do this. That's my sky. I'm a person from India. I can only do this because that's my sky. Guess what happens when you get to that sky that you created and you realize there was nothing. There was no boundary. It was simply in your mind and you can easily go past it. Right. So the point is. We create these imaginary boundaries. We create the limit on ourselves to what we can achieve. And that to me is as humans, we have to believe that everything we want is possible. So Naveen, I loved that you brought in without even me having to ask. I love that you brought in the three of them. I just love that because I've done a lot of research on each one of them being so successful. So Tell me about the lessons that you teach the kids about money and job. I know, I believe you and I are so highly aligned when it comes to them watching. You can tell them whatever you want. It doesn't matter. They're going to watch your example every single day. What did you and your wife talk to them about when it came to money and jobs and failures? So basically, in the early days when they were young, there are three things we told them. Number one was, our love for you is unconditional. Our approval is not. And what that meant was very simple. You never have to wonder, do we love you? That means you always can count on us for being there for you. But I'm not going to tell you I'm proud of you until you do something that makes us proud of you. And our goal was to let them know what makes us proud of you. And this is where we told them, your success is not going to be defined by how much money you have in the bank. Your success is going to be defined in our world by how many lives you have improved. So when you start improving people's life, I'm going to tell you I'm proud of you. Or you should always know I love you, but I'm not going to tell you I'm proud of you. Amazing things happen when you tell them that. And I remember my old uh, oldest was 10 years old. And his response to me was, whatever, dad. But having said that you know, explicitly, whatever, dad, as if he doesn't care what I have to say, when he was 17, when he went to college, he calls me and said, Dad, I have an idea. I'm going to create Kairos. And the purpose is going to be to bring all these college entrepreneurs who come from humble beginnings. They never were exposed to the mentors that you exposed me to. And I'm going to do the same thing for these college kids. So when they become entrepreneurs, they have a chance to be successful. That's how I'm going to improve more people's lives than you did. Wow. That right there at 17... Like at 17, coming back and going, I'm going to do better than you did. The fact that he heard you and dismissed you at 10, that was ingrained deep in him. That's impeccable. And that is the lesson for parents is really simple. Despite you thinking the kids don't care, if you tell them what makes you proud of them, they will do that. What happens is what we tell them and what we actually do is very different. In a sense... We tell kids, 
oh, money doesn't matter. And then they see the dad constantly, all he does is chase money. And he's not really worried about anything else. All he wants to do is make more money. They notice that. They're not dumb, right? So we didn't tell them we are poor. Remember, we didn't say we are poor, we don't have enough money, because a lot of people think they can just tell the kids when they're young, oh, we don't have much money, we can live in a smaller house. Guess what happens? They grow up and they know the daddy's not poor. I still remember having this conversation. I was at one of the events. I think it was one of the first 400 events. And when Warren Buffett said, you know, I never told our children that how much money we have until they were 30. And I said, Warren, your kids must not have learned to read for a very long time because everyone knows how rich you are. <laughs> so my point is, I you love say, that. I mean, <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, but Naveen, like, let's, again, brass tacks, okay? Like, brass tacks. Do they play video games? Oh, oh, of course. So, so again, so all of those to us was actually very interesting. This is where it comes down to, you know, this tiger mom or tiger dad is literally, we said, great, playing video games is a something you earn. It's not something you do. And as long as you get A in the classes, you get to play whatever video games you want as much as you want. When you come home with an A minus, you have to tell me two things. Number one, dad, I did everything I could. I did the absolute my best and that is what I got. And you look at my eyes and you can tell me that that's true. I'm totally fine with that. But if you tell me that I really could have gotten A, but I didn't because I didn't spend enough time learning, then your video games go away until you get back to A again. So point is, it's okay to say that I did my best and that's all I could do. I'm okay with that because that's all I'm asking you to do your best. Yes, absolutely. So how did the kids fail when they were younger? The kids fail in many things. So for example, I, and in fact, this is another very interesting thing. As you know that I didn't go to college in this in the United States, right? So our, our oldest was the first one to apply for a college, apply for college and say, Dad, I want to go to Wharton. That's what they teach entrepreneurship. That's what I want to do. And I'm going to Wharton. Great. And he, you know, obviously he applied early and, and he's writing the college app. And he says, Dad, do you want to read the college app? I say, sure. I read it and I say, Uncle, this college app sucks. And he looks at me, Dad, what do you mean by it sucks? He said, you are talking all about all the success you have had. You are not talking about all the failures you have had. And he said, Dad, obviously you must not have gone to college in this country. This is about my showing them how good I am. And I said, no, uncle, let me tell you something about the college. You know, every kid who graduates from college, what they do, they're looking for a job. Who hires them? It's someone like me who hires them. And what the people I hire are the people that uh, colleges want in their graduate class is because how that's how they get the job. So let me tell you, I would rather hire a person who has had failures and what they learn from their failure is more important than someone who has never failed. So I want you to talk about every single time where you tried something and you fail and what you learned from it. He took a deep breath and he said, Dad, okay, I will do that. And he wrote the application about him being in a mock trial. He was so confident he that nationals that he was going to be the one who is going to win. I mean, I am anchor. I am the best. Of course, I'm going to do it. Guess what? Got kicked out in the first round. 
and is out. And it so happened one of the team that won had one person who actually got sick and couldn't go. And they call, uncle, you want to join the team, but you're not going to be the lead. You have to join the team and be supportive of what somebody is doing. And you don't get to decide who is going to do what. And he goes to the team and he actually wins the competition as a being part of the team, but no longer the lead because he was leading the team that failed. Right. And that's what he wrote about what he learned from actually just being a part of the team rather than having to be the lead and always thinking that he knew the best, right? What a humbling experience for him. Huge humbling experience. And writing about it, right? I remember when he got admitted and we were in the, you know, the first inauguration thing, the dean walks up to the things and he says, uncle, uncle said, meet my dad. And he said, I got to tell you something. Your application stood out. He says, we rarely see the children talking about failures and what they learned. To us, that was the best college app we see. And I'm looking at Ankur. Ankur thinking, Dad, <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> you got this right. right. And you're like, and I didn't even pay him. <laughs> yeah. And, and my point was that, this is really about, so when you talk about failures, you know, every single time when something happened, we essentially use that as a lesson. So when he would come back and say, dad, I want to buy this. And I said, no, uncle, that is not what we do because that's, you're too young to be spending hundred dollars on a pair of shoes. And he said, dad, I really want them. And I said, in that case, go figure out how you can get them. And I'm not going to tell you one thing we didn't do was what I think is most people do. Parents say, like, go work and earn money. Because to me, that shows the money is the control mechanism here. And what happens is when you do that to children, children always think that money matters in life and they're going to spend all their life chasing money. We didn't say you can, I say, it doesn't matter. You go earn money, you still can't spend on it. If you want those shoes, call the CEO and justify to them why you need them. Because instead of justifying it to me, you get to justify it to the CEO of the company. I love that. And you know what's funny, Naveen, about that is... So I I think you know this, but I'm first generation here too. So my mom was born in Portugal and my dad was born in Egypt. And the youngest one is 12. The oldest one is 26. But the, the one that's going to be 12 in a couple months, he's like, it's my money. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, no, absolutely not. It's, it is your money and you did earn it. But the answer is still no, because the behavior is what dic- dictates the spending. And he just, he can't put that through his head. And I was like, it's not a control thing. It's a behavior thing. It's a respect thing. It's an honor thing. It's an integrity thing. Um, But he always waves it. Baba gave me this, or, you know, this is what happened. Kids today just think because they have it, they can spend it. And so I loved hearing you talk about that. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting. We never allowed them to say, because, you know, it's good that you mentioned, I'm going to tell you, and I'll share another story with you. There was a person that I was interviewing for a job to be a president of my previous company. And his dad was one of the very, very famous person. I just put it that way. And I was asking him and I said, hey, what is it that you hate about life that you think you could change, you would do? And he says, I hate my dad. It's like, wow. So, and I said, what happened? He said, it doesn't matter what I do. Everyone things is because of my dad. Since I'm in the same industry, I get no credit. They think it's all because of my dad. And I just hate it. And 
I said, you know, your last name is so famous. Though of course, you need to embrace it. And here is what I would do for you. We should do. You should be proud to tell everyone and says, you know, my dad did amazing things. And you know my last name. My dad, I'm so proud of what my dad did. I learned so much from him. And by the way, that's what I use today. And this is what I am doing to having learned that. I am proud of what he did, but I am actually now doing X, Y, and Z. And that's me. But everything I know, I've learned from my dad. So you embrace it. And let me tell you the interesting thing. Ankur went through the same thing. When he did Kairos, he got written up in this things. I think it was Business Insider or may have been on CNN. He's on CNN. And he's, they're talking to him about all the great things he's doing. And then they mention he's the son of this great entrepreneur, blah. And he calls me and he said, Dad, I just hate it. Why do you have to keep bringing you into it? You didn't do anything. And I said, Uncle, let's just be very, very clear. You couldn't have done it but for my son. You think the people who all came to this event were because you were able to call them. And, and I said, that will never change. You will always be my son. And by the way, you need to be proud of it and embrace it. And let me tell you why. If you start where I started, I started from a ground floor. I worked very hard and I went up to here. If you start all over again from the ground floor, by the way, which is what most uh, Western parents would do, go back and I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to give you any money. Go start where I started. And I see you are twice as smart. Instead of going here, maybe you go up to here. But I don't want you to do that. I want you to take this platform that I gave you. You start from here. And you are able to go to the and Mars launch. and beyond. Yes. And go launch from here, right? And that's the thing I don't understand about a lot of the parents. They say, oh, I need to show them to work hard and I want them to do everything from just like I did. Guess what? You're basically launching them from the same place you launched rather than give them a, a platform to launch from so they can go substantially beyond where they could have gone. And to me, this is basically parenting. The other thing that on parenting, I don't know why we're talking about parenting as opposed to entrepreneurship, but there you have it, right? Hey, because you know why? Because there's 500 podcasts of entrepreneurship. I wanted to talk about parenting. <laughs> okay, there you have it then. So the other thing that was very interesting was my daughter, when she was 16, she comes to me, she's in high school. She said, Dad, I know you love science and technology. I want nothing to do with science and tech. I have found my passion and I want to go pursue my passion. Most parents at that time would have said, oh, sweetie, I want to help you pursue your passion. I'm glad you found your passion. Instead, dad says, no, sweetie, you're too young to have a passion. Wow. I said, dad hasn't done his job yet to expose you to other things. Because you are too young to even know what you don't know. So you don't get to decide what you don't like yet. Because unless you are exposed to them, you don't get to decide that. So we went through this discussion. And um, and by the way, I did write this whole article about my discussion with my daughter. So anybody who is interested in it, you can just type in. The title is An Entrepreneur Versus His Eye-Rolling Teenage Daughter. Right. And it talks about how she thought she had a passion. And instead, I say, you need, dad needs to expose you to the things. In turn, we agreed 
that if she is willing to go with an open mind, wanting to learn and wanting to like, and she has to go be exposed to neuroscience, genetics, you know, artificial intelligence and all the different things. And when she comes back, if she does with an open mind, she gets to decide what she wants after I have done my part of what she needs to do. She, in fact, goes to Singularity University, learns about these subjects, comes home and tells me that I have now decided what I want to do. And I had given her my promise that if once you do this, I will support you in what you want to do. And she said, Dad, I've decided I'm going to be either a neuroscientist or genetist. And I was like, wow. I say, at the risk of you changing your mind, can you tell me why? And he said, Dad, you're so dumb. I'm in high school. I go do these science subjects and I worry what is that is going to help me do anything. By going to Singularity University, I realized that science and technology simply are tools for me to achieve what I want to do. I always wanted to help girls and women. How could I help them if I don't know how their brain works? How can I help them if I don't know how their body works? So if that is the reason I'm going to go do that, guess what? When she went to Stanford, that's what she learned. And now she's doing a women's health company using AI to remove gender bias. So she realized that science and tech is simply a way to achieve the goal you want, not a destination in itself. And if I had done what most parents would do, not only she would have never found her true passion, the world would have lost out on great entrepreneur. This week's Spin It shout out goes to Jay Rock Mill. Love this podcast. So informative and love the stories. Definitely on my weekly podcast rotation. Thank you so much, J-Rock Mill. Look forward to hearing more feedback. Make an unforgettable impression the moment you walk in the room with Executive Presence Elevated. This program is an exclusive and intensive online program designed specifically for you and led by me, Stephanie Malik. After 25 years as a business transformation and crisis specialist, I've learned just how integral executive presence is to gaining you the influence, prestige, and recognition you deserve and desire. Whether you're a mid-level manager looking to advance to the next level or an entrepreneur looking to inspire confidence in your investors, this program will transform your belief in what is possible. Find out more by going to stephaniemalik.com forward slash elevated. That's so important for our listeners, okay? Because everybody, a lot of times people write in and a lot of people, times people are saying, well, I wanna, I wanna be friends with them. I wanna, I wanna keep the communication. And it's so hard for me because while I want to be close to my children, I wanna remain connected to my children. I really, really do. At the end of the day, God gave me these children to raise and to create the absolute best amount of exposure, as you said. So I have no problem saying no at all. I want you to do as many things as you possibly can, widen your horizons. And, and, and granted, most of them will be my relationships, but then you individualize. You individualize to launch. I don't want anybody starting lesser than where I worked my ass off. Like there's no way I want to do that. I want somebody to be able to launch. So I think you opening up that conversation of, great, Priyanka, that's awesome that you want to do that. Let's go ahead and move a little further and give you all these different exposures. And then you come back. It's simply just a vehicle. Science and tech is a vehicle for her to open her brain so much bigger. Tell me about the school in Afghanistan that she did. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, this is some, you know, so way back when she was in school, she decided that, you know, the girls around the world doesn't get the same type of learning and exposure. And what if she could do that? So she joined the United Nations Foundation. So when she was early days, she worked with this woman at Harvard 
to open up the schools in Afghanistan. She then became the teen ambassador for United Nations to open up these girls' education centers all over the country, all over the world. And I still remember her going to a remote village in India uh, with her mom and talking to these girls. I mean, it is so mind-boggling to think that we take it for granted. She told these girls that she is from America and they look at her, where is that? They have no concept of anything, where this thing is. So she said, you have to go by plane and they're wondering what that thing is. She said, the thing that flies on the top, it takes you 14, 15 hours to go on the other side of the world where this thing in their mind, they cannot even fathom that there is another country somewhere out there where you can go. Because to them, they have only seen this village. To them, that is the as big as the world got. Right? So point was, this the kind of things she ended up learning was to give back to these things that in the world. And that's how she continues to go build these companies, right? What I was about to say was, as a parent, it's easy for us to say, go do it. It is essentially if your kids come and say, I have my passion, and you say, go pursue your passion. It is simply as saying, look, I don't really care. I don't have time. Do whatever you want. Just leave me alone, right? And basically, instead of saying, taking a thing, wait a sec, let me help you learn more. Let me show you what else is possible. Go be exposed to different things. And, you know, the interesting thing you mentioned about the context, when he uncles were young, till about, say, 18, 19, people used to say, hey, he is Naveen's son. Everywhere I go, I'm kidding you not. They say, oh, you are uncle's dad. Everybody knows him. I mean, literally, it doesn't matter. I end up in some event and he said, you, you're uncle's dad, aren't you? It's like, wow, world has changed. <laughs> Gosh, that's amazing. I mean, that for him must just feel so good. <laughs> like I've made it. That's so great. I mean, I love that. What is the toughest lesson that you learned in parenting these three? And I think, again, it is making sure they know what matters, right? So one thing, you know, I, we also told them one of the three things I mentioned was that your self-worth never comes from what you own. Self-worth comes from what you create. So if you own a lot, but you haven't created anything, you'll still be a parasite on humanity. So don't ever be a parasite, right? That means always go out and give back and create something, not just simply focus on owning things, but creating things. I love that. I just wrote that down. So let's talk about entrepreneurship. Not one, not two, not three. How many companies have you created from the ground up? Well, Stephanie, I mean, this is my seventh venture, but it's not about the numbers. It is about constantly doing things in a different industry. So no two companies I have ever started are in the same industry because I absolutely believe once you become good at anything, you become incrementalist. That means you can be 10% better than anybody in the world. But unless you're coming from outside the industry looking in, you cannot be 1,000% better. You cannot be 10,000% better than what someone is doing because that requires you to challenge the foundation of what everyone has taken it for granted. And unless you do that, you'll never be able to disrupt an industry. 
And that is really what I have constantly done. And when you do that, and this is not probably the best time for me to talk to you about the framework that I was telling you about how I start and find the, my next project, right? So I ask myself three questions. Why this? Why now? Why me? And I'm going to apply that thing so you know it's not an abstract concept, how I did it for my latest company, and it's called Vio. So why this is simple. Ask yourself, whatever this problem that you're trying to solve, God forbid you are actually successful in solving this problem. Would it somehow improve the lives of a billion people? And the reason you ask yourself is not because you are philanthropic, but you know Anything you do that improves the life of a billion people, you can create a $500 billion company. But you don't go out and say, I want to create a $500 billion company. What should I do? You need to stay focused on doing, improving people's life because then they become your customer. And if you have a billion customers, you can create a business out of it, right? But they become your customer because you're doing something that makes their life better. The second part is why now? Why now is what had changed in the last couple of years, but more importantly, what do you expect to change in the next three to five years that will allow you to solve this problem now than it was possible, uh, say, a decade ago? Right? That means, are you using tomorrow's technology to solve tomorrow's problem, or are you using yesterday's technology to solve tomorrow's problem? Right? Why me is the most important part. What questions are you asking that are different from what everyone else in the industry is asking? Because the questions you ask is the problem you solve. Right. So now let me give an example of how you apply. So when I was starting a company, my Wyom company, we said, what if we can prevent and reverse chronic diseases, cancer, and aging. Would that be something that could help a billion people live a better life? The answer is 7.8 billion people checkmark. Why now? In this framework, you never ask yourself how you're going to do that. The minute you ask yourself how, it limits to your thinking of what is possible. So you don't worry about how. You simply say, what needs to happen for this problem to be solved? Right? So you say, to solve this healthcare problem, you have to be able to digitize the human body. You have to be able to process the massive amount of data that's going to come out of it and use the AI to be able to learn why people have diseases and why people don't have diseases. Cost of digitization is coming down really fast. Cost of processing is coming down really fast. And the AI is becoming more powerful. Let's start time to start the companies now. Why me was the most important. Everybody in the industry was focused on asking the same question. I want to look at your DNA. I want to look at your genes. And I am not a scientist. And I say, wait a sec, your DNA never changes. So if you do my DNA today, and then after again, I get gain 400 pounds, my DNA is still the same. Now I get heart disease, diabetes, depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and I die. After I die, my DNA is still the same. DNA can't even tell you you are dead or alive, let alone you are healthy or sick. It doesn't tell you anything, right? If your genes are not changing, what does change is your gene expression. What did we say? Let's go measure gene expression. Nobody ever said, oh, you know you cannot measure gene expression. He said, we'll figure that out. Everybody knew that gut and the microbiome is important, but they were all focused on finding out what organisms are in people's gut. We say, wait a sec, 
I don't know what these organisms are. Organisms to me means a tiny human beings. What if there are ten thousands of different organisms producing the same toxin that makes me sick? So by looking at two people with diabetes, they can have completely different organism yet producing the same thing. Why not focus on what they are producing, not who they are? And that will tell us why people are getting sick. Just simply changing those questions allowed us to create Wyoming. Today, having analyzed 300,000 people, we simply send you kit at home. You analyze, we, you know, you send us a couple of drops of your blood. You send us a touch of a stool and very soon add saliva to it. We tell you what's happening in your body. What's your biological age? That means how are you internally aging? What's your immune health? What is your gut health? What's your cellular health? What's your mitochondrial health? And then we tell you, don't eat these foods and here is why. So it told me don't eat broccoli because you have high amount of sulfide production and broccoli is high in sulfate. Don't eat spinach, even though Popeye told you spinach is healthy. Guess what? Popeye was not the scientist. Your gut microbes cannot digest oxalate. So you need to lay off spinach. You're eating too much protein. You need to, because we see it being fermented in your gut, releasing ammonia. You need to lay off protein or take digestive enzyme. And then we go back and tell you every nutrient your body needs. You need 17 milligram of curcumin. You need 22 milligram of elderberry. You need 79 milligram of berberine. You need 18 milligram of amylase. And we take all these ingredients in that dosage and make those capsules for you on demand robotically every single month. That means as your body is changing, we readjust and send it back to you. That means now you're getting custom-made, on-demand, based on your biology, what you need, we send that to you. And amazing things happen. So we published a research that in four months, people who actually follow our food guidance and take our supplements, in four months, we showed the clinical score for diabetes measured by HbA1c went down by 30%. Their anxiety went down by 32%. Their depression measured by the clinical scores went down by 36%. And their IBS symptom went, IBS is like, you know, stomach ache, constipation, diarrhea, you know, bloating, all these things went down by 40%. So imagine these results simply using food and supplement as a medicine. So to me, it is so good to be able to do that. And what we are learning from all this data that having analyzed 300,000 people now is we are able to now diagnose stage one oral cancer and throat cancer. We just got the FDA breakthrough device designation. We're launching that product to the customers in January. Imagine these things used to take 10, 20 years. Now we can able to go directly to consumer. We are now figured out what is causing people to have autoimmune disease or colorectal cancer. We are developing vaccines for them. And we are now obviously looking at pancreatic cancer, uh, bile cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer. We are looking at a whole bunch of diseases like diabetes, heart diseases, insomnia, obesity, and finding ways, including aging, what can we do to get people to live healthier? Increasing the health span, not necessarily focusing on the lifespan. As long as you live, you should be able to live healthy. And that's our goal. So Naveen, something special to me, and I want our listeners to know, when I met you three or four years ago, a couple of things you didn't know. 
So I had been running a multi, multi-million dollar consulting firm, global consulting firm. I was flying all over the world most of the time with one, two or three kids in tow. Okay, I was everywhere. Huge clients, Nike, Motorola, American Express, big, very big clients. And I was, I was on all the time. But I always was very careful. And I, I always ate healthy. I didn't eat health, fast food. I didn't drink soda, like et cetera, et cetera. When I met you at this conference, um, and remember, we didn't know. We didn't know each other at all. I, I didn't know why you were there. You were just funny. And I, I fell in love. And then after you went on stage and you started saying all of this stuff, I thought, holy crap. So you don't even know this, but I had been to three specialists in three different states because I had gained 22 pounds in a year. And I was like, what is going on? What is going on? And I'm talking, Naveen, the best of the best doctors, you name it, they are like, they don't take new patients. It was a favor getting called in. And everybody said, hey, Steph, you know what? You're over 40 now. Like, this is just what happens. Like, this is the deal. And I was like, no, you guys, like, listen, something is wrong. So guess what, Naveen? I know you know this. They started doing blood work. And guess what? All my blood work was fine. It was amazing. It was so good. There was no diabetes. There's no cancer. There's no markers for anything bad. You should be great. Yes, you guys, except for I can't keep my eyes open. My arms are swollen. My feet are swollen. I'm exhausted all the time. I listened to you. Okay. I listened to you in the conference. I run home and I literally as fast as I possibly can. And you'll remember this. I, I go to download a kit and I get everything back and it comes back insane inflammation. It comes back that at this time, this was newer when Viome was newer, but there was, don't eat this, don't eat this. This is causing swelling. This is causing this. Two things that I loved about this, two things. Number one, as you guys get more data from more samples that you're collecting, my profile changes. So if I did my profile in October, you basically go, this is where you are right now. But in six more months, when there's more people, my data actually changes because there's more things to push it up against. That was number one. Number two, the instant I stopped eating pineapple and banana, my inflammation went down by 50%. Now, I will tell you this. Every medical doctor was like, Steph, it's a fluke. It's totally a fluke. Every functional medicine doctor took that Viome test as gold. I lost 12 pounds in one month just by doing that. So I, I can't tell you how incredible... I mean, Naveen, honestly, like people say this to you all the time and it's your goal in life to change people's life. But just having the actual information, not being a scientist, not being a medical profession, being a very, very busy entrepreneur, having a family, you were such an instrumental part of making me feel better and making me have steps to go oh in and God. talk to the doctor. Oh my God. Oh my God. Stephanie, it warms my heart. This is the reason why we do what we do is every week we hear from you know people like you who say, you changed my life. And you know, that's the reason I was telling you that I get up at 4 a.m. and I jump out of the bed. And that is to me is living a real life is that when you get up in the morning and you don't jump out of the bed, Quit what you're doing. That is not your calling. Because when you find your calling in life, you will jump out of the bed because you want to do things that you really believe is you are here for your purpose, right? So find what you're willing to die for and then live for it, right? Dream, dream big things, dream audacious things. As you see, it, it takes the same amount of energy to do something small than to take something big. In fact, I would argue it's easier to do big things than to do small things. Because when you do audacious things, the most brilliant, brightest people want to join you on your mission because they want to do something which is challenging, something that's significant, something that will change the way people live their lives. So I would say, you know, 
follow Stephanie's example. Naveen, you are such an incredible human being, and I cannot wait to grow along with Viome. You know this entire show is based on obstacles into opportunities. What is the biggest obstacle that you've been able to turn into an opportunity? Just really having a loss of my dad to cancer and making a decision that I'm not going to stop until we solve the problem of chronic diseases and cancers is to me is my calling. And that's actually, I took that having a lot lost my dad to made him a promise to go working hard, solve this problem. So anytime when something happens in the world, you ask yourself, universe is your friend. If this is happening, this is for your best and go out and make something happen using this. Naveen, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Stephanie. I really appreciate it and look forward to our next conversation soon. I do as well. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spin It. If you enjoyed the show today, then rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. To be featured on our weekly shout out, write us a review sharing why you love our show. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode again. If you want to learn more, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y. S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E-M-A-L-I-K or visit my website, stephaniemalik.com. I'll see you all next week for another episode of Spin It. Enjoy this sneak peek of what's up next. But I built all these layers to distract me from that deeper unhappiness. And so those layers started, literally were exploded away. And I said, okay, how do I really feel? (laughs) If we're going to go back to feeling bad again, let's actually deal with it this time. So I think what happened for me was I built up all of these mechanisms for coping to where I didn't have to pay attention to the problems that were deep inside anymore to the point where I'd convinced myself they no longer existed. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's distracting. Here's what you do. You distract or you disassociate. So in all of our leadership and all of our consulting for leadership, and you maybe get detached feelings or you get detached emotions or you get, uh, you're apathetic or you're not connected or you don't create community or whatever those things are, it's always a deeper wound of distracting or disassociating to not have to deal with something real and, and usually, usually very deep. Usually it's very deep. It's not something you can just quickly recall. 